Now, KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, good morning, good grief, good Saturday. Oh my goodness, we are having a lovely day today. A little bit of warmer weather, maybe a little bit of cooler weather. Oh, alternating periods of lightness followed by darkness. That's the forecast for the next, I don't know, millennia, something like that. Uh, I'm in a rare mood here this Saturday morning. Uh, very grateful to the veterans that are amassing outside for the parade to celebrate today. The veterans all across the country and the world, this is the actual a celebration of the World War I armistice signing that we now celebrate as Veterans Day, tip of, tip of the hat, and great gratitude, uh, survival even of our way of life, freedom, and political systems. So this is a big deal for all of you out there listening today that are veterans, active service, and anybody serving around the world in our armed forces. I thank you. Uh, the people I work with, thank you. We are loaded with veterans at uh, Mosby Building Arts, my place of employment, as well as many of the boards that I serve on throughout the listening area. So a grateful uh, nod, tip of the hat, gratitude to our veterans and the celebration of that. So you heard Brian Kelly describe the big parade happening here in an hour, uh, downtown St. Louis Veterans Parade, very much fun. Today's Agenda on the Helitech Home Improvement Show is your questions. What's important to you? Whatever brings you to your do-it-yourself list. Certainly there are things around the home you have on your honeydew list or writing down on the honeydew list. Perhaps checking off the honey-done list and things that you've had success with. Or maybe you're just Tired of your house the way it is or love it the way it is? We'll talk about that and more. Bring them forward. We have two hours for questions, hopefully some answers. Occasionally, my answers actually match the questions. <laughs> what a concept. Well, I'll promise that most of the time. Phone lines open for you for the next two hours. Everything about you, for you, by you from KMOX, 314-436-7900, toll-free, 800-925-1120, 925-1120. I invite your questions. I welcome your questions. I love to learn from you. There were so many things uh, uh, some years ago, actually two decades now, uh, right about this month, just about this time. Uh, I started on KMOX uh, down at One Memorial Drive, had a beautiful view of the riverfront and all the air shows with the Fair St. Louis for many, many years. Now we're on 1220. Olive and a fabulous cutting edge, I mean state-of-the-art uh, studio here for our three stations and KMOX being the flagship. It's a great place and a great family to be part of. I welcome you to the KMOX family. And you've got those questions there in your pocket. I know you've been writing them down all week. Scott questions, KMOX, Saturday, 11 to 1. 
I've been doing this for a long time, and I truly look forward to this. Phone lines 314-436-7900 and 800-925-1120. My name is Scott Mosby. As you can imagine, I've been here for a long time. I am a student of building sciences. That means studying every failed system that's gone on in the residential construction industry for the last hundred years. Um, And even some of the homes that I've worked on personally are 200 years old. And that's really an honor. Uh, That takes a very rare homeowner, uh, more a curator of a piece of history than a homeowner. And the work to be done has to be very sensitively performed. Sometimes the tools changing to bring the same effect of a 200-year-old house. Uh, The materials, awesome uh, and uh, rare, sometimes have to be made um, in methods that were used 200 years ago. So think about, you know, Alexander Hamilton and the construction methods of his home years ago. Uh, And that's sometimes how it has to happen. There's so much more. Now, take homes built 200 years ago Put them together with the super-insulated, highly efficient computers that run our homes. And if, if you're not aware of that, uh, I mean, those blinking VCR lights, you know, that was 35 years ago. So that was yesterday's technology by three and a half decades. Now we have refrigerators that can keep track of what's inside the refrigerator. Uh, The front of the refrigerator can actually have the family calendar on it, do list, can take stock of what's in the refrigerator and in the internet shape of things to come. Refrigerators exist today that can log onto the internet and reorder your food. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Oh, by the way, you pull open the refrigerator, pull out that whatever prepared dinner, Scan that barcode on the front of your refrigerator. It'll tell you exactly how to prepare it. Take it over perhaps to your microwave or your oven. Scan it into that oven or microwave. This is stuff here today. Slide it in. You have to take it out of the packaging, of course. Hit start. That's it. 200 years ago, today, and then think of all the stuff that was invented between then and now. And the rapidity, the pace of change of how quickly those things come to market are adopted and get installed way before the installing tradespeople know what it is. So that's why there are so many case stories um, about what works, what doesn't. And then, you know, for you auto enthusiasts out there, You know, a starter motor for a car engine, a Ford is not the same as a Chevrolet. They aren't interchangeable. They do the same things, but they just don't necessarily fit. Likewise, in my world, that stuff doesn't get along with each other. So I put on a siding on the outside of the house that doesn't breathe. And the windows, I put the best windows in the world in there, and I follow the instructions for the window manufacturer. And then I put something up on the gutters and the fascia and reside the house and put some house wrap. But I don't necessarily think of how they all play well together. Remember in kindergarten, plays well with others? You know, getting along, sharing toys in the sandbox. 
that fast technology world isn't aware of what's happening with the other documents, the other materials, the other technology. So that's kind of what I do. Anyway, for those of you wondering what I do with my world, that's pretty much it. We're going to take some phone calls here, and I have phone lines open, 314-436-7900, toll-free, 800-925-1120. My name is Scott Mosby. I'm part of CAMWEX, and I pledge you my very best. There you go. That's it. Two hours of my very best. Hope it's good enough. We're going to spend the time having fun. University of Camwex, Scott Mosby here at the Rostrum. We're going to share your best war stories, good, bad, and the ugly, on Camwex. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby, on KMOX. All right, welcome back, Home Improvement. This is the Helitech Home Improvement Show. Scott Mosby at the helm, at your service, on the phone line, a center speaker. Come on into the newsroom here and cut into the classroom here on the corner. Come through the hundreds of national awards for newscasting, quality broadcasting, and history of CAMWEX. And let's start with the phones here and talk with Ginger. Ginger, good morning. Welcome to, to uh, CAMWEX. How can I help? Hi, Scott. Thank you. I am calling about a bathroom in our basement area that has a sulfur smell. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been in this house 40 years. It's a 100-year-old home. Okay. And I was looking online. They said you could pour Clorox down or maybe something more gentle, which is what I started with vinegar and uh, baking soda. Uh, Neither of those seem to have helped. Do you have any suggestions as to what might be causing it or how I can get rid of the odor? Uh, Yes. Um, This is either going to be very easy or very difficult, difficult slash expensive. Two things. It could be that uh, the P-trap or the floor drain, do you have a floor drain in that bathroom? I do, and unfortunately, during the renovation, I think they tiled over it. Well, there's your problem, because that floor drain requires water to fill the P-trap. Do you know what a P-trap is underneath a sink, that pipe under the drain? Yes. Okay, that squiggly P-shaped pipe is designed to trap a slug of water that separates the smell of the sewer system, everything from MSD all the way to your house, and the inside uh, occupied area of your home. Um, Organic waste creates methane gas, which is explosive. Uh, It smells like rotten eggs because of the presence of sulfur in that chemical reaction. Uh, And if you cover over that floor drain without really sealing it up correctly, uh, you can have that sewer gas, you know, the water dries up, it literally evaporates out, and then you have no protection, really, or separation between you and that. Now, the way to find this out, uh, and, and frankly, I, I, I'm here's the other side of it, is if it's not that floor drain in a 100-year-old house, you could have rusted out cast iron stacks, you know, pipes that go up in the wall, in which case, you know, the floor drain may not have anything to do with this, and then you have to open up the walls and replace those pipes. Uh, But there's an easy way to find out here, Ginger. I do have some good news for you in all of that. Um, Go to the grocery store and buy some peppermint extract. 
dollar, you know, doesn't matter. It's a very pungent smell, and it is like nothing else in a bathroom or a laundry room. Go in there and dump it, you know, buy that, bring it home, open it up, dump it in the toilet, flush the toilet once, stop, don't do anything else. If you smell peppermint in that basement bathroom, that means there is a breach in the sewer, the waste line pipes, either the floor drain or the wall. And if it's just everywhere, if it's the floor drain, you'll tend to be, it should be, you know, it should be a stronger smell down on the floor where that drain was. But if you have a, a rusted stack and they start going, they start rusting and failing anywhere around 60 years. So, you know, you're, you're in prime time with 100 years. Uh, unlikely that basement bathroom was put in 100 years ago. But if it is, you'll know. And that peppermint should not be a smell other than when you opened it up and dumped it into the toilet bowl. You know, it, so if it's a real pungent peppermint smell in the bathroom, you need a professional plumber on some level. And that's your next call. Okay, now we do have another floor drain uh, in the furnace room that is about, like, across a hallway Mm -hmm. that is open. Should I put anything in that drain? Yes, please. Uh, Just take a little bit, a bucket of water, um, and just dump it down that floor drain. Just, you know, the more careful you are, the more you get it down the drain. Uh, The other thing is, is you can take a cap full of vegetable oil, and after you put the water in that floor drain, since oil floats on water and will dissipate to a film, you can dump that cap full of vegetable oil, just, you know, cooking oil in there. Not a lot. You know, we're not, you know, changing the oil on your lawnmower or car. <laughs> just all you need is a little bit of film. And what that does is the oil does not evaporate and it separates the water from the air in the hallway there or across the hallway and and it it makes that water charge in that trap last longer oh okay so that could be because my uh, husband and i are uh, empty nesters Mm -hmm. so the plumbing doesn't get used as much as it had been and certainly the basement downstairs hardly gets used at all i try to remember to go down turn water on and flush toilets because there's a yeah. We do have the washer and dryer there, but otherwise it really has been. And, and this renovation was done probably uh, 15 years ago, and mm-hmm. so this smell has only been in the last three weeks. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, then it's unlikely to be that floor drain. That floor drain would have showed up as a problem, you know, within a year, year and a half. Uh, and, and the reason that it's coming up this time of year uh, it'll do it in the middle of the summer, and it'll do it when you get a cold snap. Your furnace is running more, and generally furnaces, you know, ha- are a little bit starved on the makeup air, so they suck through the, the return air ductwork a little more than normal. And so that's why you can almost vacuum this stuff out. Your furnace is actually under negative pressure, and, it'll, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But that's that's why you'll see it when it starts getting cold or when it starts getting really hot, that furnace runs a lot, and it, it creates a suction or vacuum in your house. Okay, so peppermint extract and vegetable oil. Yep. There you, I mean, this is real low-tech. So this, and this, I would encourage, you know, this is really a homeowner thing. Uh, but I, I learned this right here. This is an example of one of the things I learned right here in this seat on Camo X probably 15, 17 years ago. And 
I forget what my answer was at the time. Some plumber called in and said, hey, try this. And he explained exactly what I shared with you. So, uh, you know, this is a community shared knowledge here spread around by KMOX. So thank you, whoever that wizardly pl- plumber is from years ago. You uh, have been serving for a long time. <laughs> well, I appreciate your advice, and I will pursue this and hopefully not have to call a plumber. Yep. Well, if it is, if you smell that peppermint extract, there's, there's, you're going right to the top of the heap. You, you need a real plumber, licensed plumber, uh, because if that's the case, then it's time to start looking at other parts in the house and then have a long-term conversation of, well, if this pipe went, then the other ones went. How far do you want me to look? Uh, but start budgeting as a family for, you know, some of these things over the next five years because you could have another emergency next month, next year, or 10 years from now. So it's it's mm-hmm. time to start, you know, thinking in that holistic uh, uh, age of this piping system. Uh, okay. okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your advice. Thanks so much. I appreciate your show as well. All right, Ginger. Great question to start us for. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Next up, let's talk to a fellow who's very close to my heart. Let's talk with Scott. Hey, Scott, good morning. Welcome to CAMWEX. How can I help you, my friend? Morning, Scott. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I have a um, a whole house fan that I just installed this past summer, and I want to know the best way to insulate that for the winter months now. Um, tell me about the uh, fan. Is it a belt-driven, 30-inch by 30-inch? 30 30, you know, is it a big one, or is it a smaller one that goes between the uh, ceiling joists? No, it's a 30 by 30 belt-driven, um, and it does have the uh, vent flaps or the vent that'll uh, cover it up when it's not in use. Yeah. But I'm still thinking that's just uh, a big hole going right up in the my attic. So, uh, amen, brother. It really is. Um, when we do blower door tests on homes, uh, those you know, we don't even need to fire up the the testing equipment to know that's exactly what it is. A um, couple of things. Uh, generally, when those get installed, Scott, you're better off building that enclosure in isolation at that time of installation. Uh, for example. Around that 30-inch by 30-inch opening, roughly, you know, uh, a couple of ways that I've done this over the last 30 years is put 2x12s around it up in the attic basically as an insulation dam to keep the insulation back and then stack that up. Uh, And then uh, it it would have an even top, maybe 12 inch. If you have 17 inches of insulation or 24, you just keep going. I've also Mm -hmm. built that side wall out of two inch rigid Dow or Owens Corning uh, Corning styrofoam. So I've put that together and glued that in some way. So because then you put the two by 12s or the lumber and then you have to insulate that with some rigid foam either on the inside of that opening or the outside, Uh, you know, because this is a refrigerator door and, and frankly, the, the temperature delta, the difference between the attic and the inside is going to be just as dramatic or more, you know, your fridge is 30 degrees and your inside house is 70. So that's 40 outside. You can have negative five and inside 70. So frankly, you need a refrigerator door up in the attic and an insulated box. So insulate those walls. And then, uh, you need to turn the electric off to that fan because, uh, I've also, uh, put lids up there that I typically uh, will store up there. It might be a two or four or six inch rigid foam lid. Um, okay. And then I'll cap that with some way and I'll typically 
typically tape it with some two-inch wide aluminum tape or something just to try and get it air sealed. Um, I've seen people actually throw quilts up there around the fan blades once they threw the breaker off. Uh, but either way, you have two big problems. One is the air leak, and number two is the insulation. The air leak you'll notice more because when you start getting a windy day outside, it starts blowing down that fan. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of it. Make sure you power off, insulate it, uh, build an insulated box. Uh, you're going to do this for a long time. So I would, you know, invest the hours or, or time up in the attic to do it. Uh, and, and then really you have to insulate inside that. And that's why folks have done the, the um, uh, thing. And likewise, uh, kind of like a, a lockout tag out system for safety on power tools with broken wires and such. Somehow mark that breaker or that switch. When you kill the power to that device, uh, you can destroy that fan if you, you know, your wife or your son or whatever flips that puppy on next spring when it gets hot. Yeah. You know, and out <laughs> comes the quilt and all the fan blows off and you burn out the moat. So protect yourself. Make sure you're notifying the, the next okay. operator. Yep. All right. Well, I appreciate the help and um, thanks for your show. Okay, Scott. Thanks. Take care. You're uh, you did the Mac Daddy of fans, didn't you? Yeah, I did, and it works great in the uh, fall and the springtime. And summer, it worked pretty good too. But yeah. Uh, Are you opening the uh, windows in the house that you want to evacuate? Uh, you know, when I have dead corners, or you know, I'll start with the corners when I had fans like that. You can, you know, I can I can control where the air moves according to which window I o I would open. Yeah, usually uh, towards uh, later in the evening, I would open the bedroom windows mm -hmm. um, and then close the ones in the family room so that the, it cooled the bedrooms off real nice. And then I'd shut those and, um, you know, just have it um, overnight. I didn't run it overnight because yeah, it got too chilly sometimes. <laughs> man, it will. It sure will. The cooling effects of wind chill, you bet. Yeah. Did you ever lose a cat or a small dog up there when you fire up that fan and the first time in the street, go away! Oh my gosh, Fluffy went up. He comes flying out the roof. Oh my gosh, go catch the cat. He's airborne. Don't have a cat, so that's good for me. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Bye now. A little bit of humor there, but those uh, whole house fans, many of you have them, uh, and, and many of you live with the, uh, the positive benefits of that changing the air ability in about two minutes of a house. Uh, terrific. They're great in second homes. I've seen a lot of people have them at lakes and second home areas because the house would be stuffy. They'd, you know, show up, open all the windows, fire up the exhaust fan for five or 10 minutes, change the air, close it all back. Even in the winter, close it back up, heat the house up or cool the house off, whatever it was. Anyway, 314-436-7900 is how you can call me here and be part of this uh, KMOX on-air community or 800-925-1120. Scott Mosby, at your service happy veterans day and we are together in this <laughs> like it good bad or ugly here on game wax hey hey guys this is alex and amy and we are back with another season of wendy's week in hockey but now a new time monday nights from seven to nine o'clock Join us for Blues Conversation, player and coach interviews, NHL roundups, and more. We'll take you inside the locker room and around the league. All of that comes your way every Monday night on your home for the best Blues coverage, KMOX.
Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, back together. Home Improvement, KMOX. So much fun going on right here at the studio. Let's talk with Ed. Hey, Ed, welcome aboard. How can you help us here this morning? Good morning. My name is Ed. I'm a World War II veteran. I'll be 93 in February, and you wanted to know the name of Veterans Day was Armistice Day. Armistice Day. Yes, sir. Ed, where did you serve? I served in the United States Navy as the, the youngest of three brothers. I went in at age 17 to 21. Bill, the oldest in Europe, Bob, the next one. In the Pacific, in the Navy. Oh, my. Ed, have you been on an honor flight yet? No, I I have some health problems. I would enjoy that, but I'm not able to. Ed, do you mind if all of the listeners here take a moment and uh, say thank you? I don't know that we can put the voices on the air, but if you will, will you take our thanks uh, in uh, quiet prayer, maybe? Well, I I don't have any deal to claim. Uh, One encounter with a German submarine in the North Atlantic. Other than that, I've had a peaceful time in the war. Uh, you're... But, I, but I thank you for your kindness and compliment. Thank you. I thank you for your service, Ed. Thank you, sir. I'll leave you with this. Jesus is coming back. Amen, brother. Bye. <laughs> All right. Take care. God bless you. Bye. And there we go. A little bit help. Uh, Armistice Day was where uh, Veterans Day began. It was to celebrate the signing of the ceasefire, and it was indeed, as Ed describes, Armistice Day for World War One. Uh, Ed, 93 years old, served so that you and I could sleep at home in our beds, then and now. And um, I recently read the book, The Greatest Generation, for a second time. Uh, pretty impressive stuff, and uh, just... Uh, being aware of for every frontline serviceman in harm's way, there's about three more back lines making sure all that works. So, uh, you know, Ed, God bless you and thanks for your service, my friend. Let's go to Betty and see what's cooking here. Hey, Betty, good morning. Welcome to CAMOX. Happy Veterans Day to you, ma'am. Well, thank you so much and um, the same to you. you. Uh, I have a um, limestone foundation in the basement. And it's terribly crumbly. I mean, you can just touch it and things fall off. Yep. Uh, little stones are falling everywhere. And there are holes. Um, I will, uh, the house is about 100 years old. And uh, I think long ago we were told that it should never be covered. Limestone should never be covered. Um, and I don't know why. I don't remember asking why. But um, I'm assuming that if you put a nail or a screw or anything into that limestone, it would just disintegrate anyway. So I thought maybe that was the reason. I don't know. I'm wondering if there is anything that can be sprayed on there, or can it be replastered, something like that. I I don't know the answer to it. It's terribly unsightly also. Yeah. Well, uh, number one, uh, the answer is... 
Uh, why it, it is crumbly at a hundred years, I would crumble too, um, <laughs> especially with all the water passing through me. And that's the reason why it's it's dissuaded or not advised to cover up that stone because it actually think of the other side of that stone is moist earth and and basically water. So water is in that dirt in that earth, and it tries to dry itself. So uh, moisture moves from high concentration, which is the soil outside, to low concentration, which is your relatively dry or drier basement on the other side of that stone. So that limestone is nothing more than a big sponge, a water filter, if you will, where that moisture migrates through that stone all the time. You can't really get to the outside to put a waterproof barrier or membrane out there easily. Uh, and that moisture just keeps moving. And after 100 years, you know, Mother Nature's starting to break down that stone. You can indeed put kind of a plaster material on it. There are some waterproofing companies that put something on it to slow down that moisture. But uh, ultimately, you have to really take good care of the tuck pointing. It's the mortar in between that stone that's very important uh, to maintain uh, because that's the stuff holding your stone apart and therefore holding your house up. So the tuck pointing is first. um, And then second, really just assess whether this is bad enough to address because it's costly to put something over that stone. And it's, you know, not always the best thing either. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tuck pointing, you mean they would... Um, carve out just like a brick carve yep. out the mortar between all those stones absolutely yes ma'am uh, that is just a that is an earlier version of brick that's all the natural right. stone is building um, chunks held together and apart both by the mortar do bricklayers do something like that too I, oh yeah uh, oh huh. yeah yeah in, in fact uh, the word is stone mason uh, stonemason and brick mason, and they're typically the same set of skills. Now, I will say that the mortar mix, you know, the chemical percentages of what goes together to make mortar is very different for an old soft piece of limestone as it is for a new really hard and impervious, you know, water impervious brick. So you need you need somebody that knows old time stones to, to properly tuck point a stone foundation. I would think that the whole thing would fall apart once, even if I touch touch it. Sometimes, you know, it it just crumbles. Yeah, well, they don't and there go very are holes in it too. Yeah, they don't go very deep. They'll rake that mortar out, maybe an inch, inch and a quarter, just enough to hold that old stuff in there and not let it compress and mm-hmm. and fall out. Really. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, well, that would be expensive too, I guess. But uh, not as expensive as not doing it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Okay, Betty. Good question. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. Home Improvement Camelag, Scott Mosby. We're off and running. We started out with Ginger, uh, had a drying or had a sulfur smell in the basement bathroom, near the basement bathroom. Could be a floor drain, could be rusted out cast iron pipes. Next was Scott put in a new 30-inch by 30-inch whole house fan. I'll speak to that about the exhaust requirements up in the attic on that a little bit. I want to speak to that a bit. And then now just Betty on tuck pointing or caring for her spalling or disintegrating limestone foundation stones. Here on CAMOX, 314-436-7900 and 800-925-1120. Scott Mosby in the seat, joyful to be here and grateful for the veterans. Here on CAMOX. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. 
All right, let's get going here right back to the phones and see what's cooking with our friend Larry. Hello, Larry. Welcome to the first hour. How can we help? Thanks for taking my call, Scott. Yes, and uh, thanks to all the veterans that are out there. Yes, uh, sir. Quick, a quick question, I hope. Uh, about a month or two ago, my back faucet on the outside of the house, I couldn't. Sh- it wouldn't shut off all, all the way. Mm-hmm. It kept dripping out. Yeah. So I pulled it, faucet out, installed a new one, soldered it in, and it worked fairly well at first. Now there's almost no water coming out of that valve. I was told I should have taken the stem out of the valve before I soldered it in to uh, stop any possibility of melting that uh, seal or gasket. Is that true? (laughs) And my second question is, can I pull that whole thing out now without unsoldering it and change that uh, seal or gasket on there so it does start flowing? Uh, The answer is yes. Second answer is yes. And the third answer is yes. Uh, yes, you probably melted the um, the gasket uh, O-ring or probably the washer. Uh, and yes, you should have removed the stem before that. So you just take it out of harm's way and just el- eliminate that as one of the possibilities. Um, so that's, you know, that that's effectively correct. And if you get the same faucet that you bought before, buying that part is very difficult to find. You'll, you'll find that you spend as much or more for the part and wait for it weeks, uh, unless you go to a plumbing supply house and they happen to have that stem, but it's, it's generally unlikely. You wind up buying another faucet and then just uh, not using the body but pulling the stem out and replacing it. You can slide it back in. And you can do that on inside stops inside your basement as well. Uh, You don't really need to remove the faucet body if you can exactly match that model and brand. You just, you know, change it around. Okay, being as always a brand new faucet that I put in there, I should be able to get that gasket or seal, though. Oh, yeah. I pull the whole, shut the water off and pull the whole stem out from the outside. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, your your theory is 100% true. And frankly, for, you know, a, a plumber will do the same thing uh, because it's hard to stop the drip, you know, draining down the water in the house and you're down in the basement and it all gravity dumps all that water down into that faucet. And it's really hard to get that water to leave you alone while you solder in a new faucet or stop body. Well, what I did was when I shut the water up to the house, I did install a new uh uh, I put a valve on it so I could isolate the whole thing. So I should be a little bit ahead of the game with that one. Oh, man, you're smarter than I look. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good okay. one. Like, yeah, man. All right, Scott. Thanks for your help. Okay, good work there, Larry. And yes, sir, you can. And uh, um, if it makes you feel any better, there are thousands of us out there in the listening audience that learned just the same way you did. <laughs> but you know, it didn't say on the instructions to pull that stem out before I started in there. And oh, I yeah. I would have said that. I would have done that. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, some of that, uh, you go to, you know, the right hardware store and, you know, the, the guy will slide his glasses down and say, you know, you're better off just pulling, you know, it just, it, so where you trade, you know, where you choose to get your parts can matter because they can keep you, you and me out of trouble with just that little last bit of touch. Absolutely. Okay, Scott, thanks for your help. Have a great weekend. All right, Larry, you too, my friend. Okay, bye. Bye now. Next up, let's see what's cooking, and let's talk with, uh, how about Joanne? I like Joanne. That's a good name. Joanne, how you doing? Good morning. How can I help? Hi. Thank you. Good morning to you, and thank you to all of our veterans out there. Um, I have a two-story house, about 25 years old, Uh 
and I the main wall that's between the dining room and the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I would like to open it up a little bit and put a window there. Okay. Kind of a pass-through window or whatever. Yep. And my husband says that that's where the ductwork is going up to our second story. So he's like, I don't think we're going to have any luck doing that. Is that a major hindrance, or is there a way to kind of work around the ductwork? Um, uh, yes. Uh, yes and yes. Um, uh, <laughs> for example, at Mosby, we we pull structure walls out all the time because that's pretty much easy. Now, getting the stuff in the wall, like plumbing stacks, gas lines, electric uh, ductwork, all that, that is very difficult. So, for example, in removing a wall or putting an opening in there, uh, is it's really easy to deal with the structural issue because, you know, gravity's been very consistent for like a gajillion years, so the engineering rules aren't much changed. However, all the stuff that's in there, you've got to take it from here and move it around there, and then you have to open up the wall where you're going to move it to, and then since you're moving it, you have to re-engineer the size of the ductwork and the volume, because every time you put a, an elbow in, you know, so welcome to my world. I feel your pain. It, the Making a hole in the wall and structurally holding up the house is easy and relatively inexpensive, and it's the ductwork that's a, a challenge, and that's that's exactly what our designers start with is what's in the way, what can move, and what's probable cost of, of redirecting all that. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, yes, it can be done. Uh, just the more difficult becomes slash expensive. Okay. 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 Good to know. Thank all right. you. Good luck, Joanne. Thank you. I know. And, and that's a really interesting question because uh, where the whole – wants to be from getting the stuff out of the way may be different than what will really dramatically change how those two rooms live together or not. So welcome to the world of design. Uh, that's, that's us for sure. Home Improvement, Camel X, Hour 2 coming next.